Well, good morning, afternoon. No, it's still morning, isn't it? We got a little bit. Jason told me that this meeting goes until 12.30, 1 o'clock. He said I can go over if I want, though. No, no, he, he kind of informed me rightly. Sorry about that. Um, you guys were all handed a, a little piece of paper here. Um, most of the time, whenever I, I uh, do any of my teaching is mostly up at the, the camp. And so greetings from Verdugo Pines Bible Camp and some of the the folks out at Riverside, but um, up at Verdugo Pines, what we normally, I, I say that the kids come up there, the managers have the responsibilities for the kids. My responsibility is primarily to the staff, and we sit down and we do this, uh, what we call a summer ministry team, we don't call it summer staff, but we end up saying we're going we're gonna to end up developing these young men and women to end up becoming ministers of the Lord, or becoming servants of the Lord. And so uh, that is where my main focus is. And a lot of times whenever I do my study, and it's, it's a lot along that particular line. I chose this passage here. I, it was a few um, weeks back here that I, I, I heard somebody speak on this, and I thought, wow, this, this passage here, it has points, you know. It has little bullet points, you know. You know, it has a little checklist, you know. You check this thing down, and I got it. Check this. And I love checklists, you know, and that's... Uh, that's how I normally operate. You know, whenever I see this checklist, I can go down and I can check it out. This passage here will speak for itself. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I have titled it, you know, Being a Good Minister of Jesus Christ. You know, we want to end up developing our, our young men and women to become godly men and women. And so this is a checklist for becoming a godly person. And so I'm going to go ahead and share it with you as I would with our staff up in, the, up in the mountains here. And so that is why I have a little handout sheet and fill in the blank type thing. Sometimes that works easier for them to end up uh, catching on to things, but uh, I'm going to end up treating you the same. How's that? Um, one of the things that uh, in Timothy, uh, Paul was talking to Timothy about these things, and he ends up... Um, saying, I want to contrast some of this to begin with, right here in uh, Timothy chapter 4 here. He says, let me contrast what a bad minister is, and then let me get into what a good minister is, and that is where I want to spend most of the time. Your checklist kind of deals more with the good minister. It doesn't deal with the bad minister part. You know what? I'm going to have to put on my glasses. I, I know Dorothy's not the only one getting older here, but, uh, you know, so I can see. So if you don't mind, it's kind of a new thing to me, so sometimes it might be a little distracting. But here it starts out, verse 1 here, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says uh, that in latter times some will depart from the faith. And where it says, expressly says here, it says, I've said it multiple times, this isn't something new. Now you've heard this before, and even in Matthew we can end up reading in Matthew where it says, some will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? And he says, Depart from me, I've never known you. And it says, you know, some, the Spirit of God has expressly said, in the latter days, some will be departing from the faith. Um, you know, some are going to be departing from even the Word of God and, and some of their teachings that they have even received. Now, you get into some different commentary on this. But this is not talking about losing salvation here, but you're going to end up seeing some that were uh, apostates at that time have fallen away from the teachings or 
from the teachings of Scripture, and they have fallen away from that. And it's almost just proof that they have never really accepted Christ here, even at the beginning. But these apostates here have fallen away. And this is what Paul is referring to here at the beginning of Timothy. All right, so he goes on, he says, in latter times, and, and I'll tell you what, we can see more of that today than we've ever seen before. But uh, we can see as it gets closer to the return of Christ, we see more and more that are departing from the faith. We see that in different denominations that we uh, have coming into play here in the later days. Uh, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Um, giving heed to deceiving spirits. You know, um, Aren't they the same, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons? I, I think there's sometimes that he says we are drawn away by our own lust and entice. There's sometimes that we are following things of the world. We hear that the world, the flesh, and the devil is what is causing us to, to end up yearning what used to be or what it could be and that sort of thing. And, and deceiving spirits, there's, there's a, a, quite a few verses in uh, the scripture here, it says, deceiving yourselves. And there's times that we end up seeing something and we deceive ourselves, even to the point that we start believing it. And you can end up seeing here, um, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They pretending to be somebody that they're not, hypocrisy, and starting to believe their own lies. And I think sometimes we're deceiving ourselves. We hear other people that step in and start deceiving us by, you know, doesn't this sound good? Doesn't this sound right? And a lot of times it's with half-truths. It's with partial doctrine. And we're deceived because they add something to it. And we have to really be cautious. And this is what Paul was saying to Timothy, you know. Watch out for these deceiving spirits and, and doctrines of demons, which are totally contrary. You know, there's a new gospel that has come out. Did you know that, that uh, you know... This old gospel that we have is no longer relevant to our culture today, and now we have a new one that is relevant. And so we have these demons of doctrines, uh, doctrines of demons that have, have crept in there also. It says that angel, uh, Satan comes as an angel of light, you know, and, and that is how people have been so deceived. But we're going to see more and more of that uh, in end times. And it says forbidding... Uh, to marry and commanding to abstain from food which God has created uh, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You know, marriage and food were given to us as a gift from the Lord, and, and God has given it to us for good. Now, we also see, though, there's some scripture that talks about uh, remaining celibate, and, and we also see some that, that talks about fasting. And so, is it good or isn't it? You know, is it, is it meant to, to be eaten or is it not? You know, and I think some people will take some of those scriptures and twist it. I think what they're saying here is they're using some of these, uh, these teachings here as far as getting honor or getting uh, uh, something from God. He's going to look down on you graciously, more graciously. You're going to be more spiritual if you don't eat. You're going to be more spiritual if you don't marry. And they put tie that along with the works type thing. And we end up seeing works that is being talked about here too. Forbidding one to marry and, and commanding to abstain. Um, 
You know what? Uh, we also see in Romans where it talks about, you know, they're saying that the good is bad and the bad is good. And this is how we end up getting ourselves uh, uh, drawn away by some of these uh, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I'll read on here. It says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if received at thanksgiving. No, no, it says received with thanksgiving, all right? A lot of times what we end up doing, we end up saying we'll justify different things, you know, in our minds. You know, well, you know, I can do this now. I, I can make up my own rules here. But here it says received with thanksgiving. It says, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. I remember as a kid, uh, I asked my dad, I said, why do, why do we give thanks for the food, you know, at every meal? You know, I, do you see that in Scripture? Where can you show me in the Bible that it says to give thanks at every meal? Why do we do it, Dad? You know, and of course, you know, I, you know, he, he brought up the, the portion about Daniel. You know, he prayed three times a day. And since we're eating three times a day, we're going to give thanks for you know, this is when we're going to pray. And, but he also brought up this particular scripture here. He says, um, uh, it says, every, every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of uh, by the word of God and prayer, and so what we're doing instead of asking God to bless our food, we're asking God to sanctify this food for our our health reasons, for our, our nourishment. We're thanking God for the food because he, he's the provider of all good things. And he ended up bringing this scripture, and that stuck with me. I don't know how old I was at that time, but he brought out this verse, and I remembered it ever since. But uh, here's a verse you can use whenever one of your children asks you about that. You know, how comes we pray? Okay, now this in here was the kind of the line right here at verse 5 is where it breaks off. And it starts the new uh, talking about the good minister. And um, verse 6 there, it says, If you instruct the brethren with these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now, when it says these things, was he talking about the things above chapters, uh, verse 6? Or is he talking about the these things after verse 6? I think both. All right, so we need to end up looking at, at, at both contrasts here that we can end up comparing it and saying, saying this is, uh, both of these are teachings. And we need to end up uh, speaking the truth in love and saying this is wrong. Or these are wrong ministers. And we'll get down to some of that in just a little bit here. Okay, so it says, um, if you instruct brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Christ. Uh, nourish in the word of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Now we see the word of faith, which um, generally is spoken of is the word of God here. Um, and uh, good doctrine would be uh, exposition of scripture there, and uh, carefully followed is to end up obeying. So if we end up looking at the, um, the word of faith here, there's a, a lot of times where we end up getting nourishment from other places. Myself, you know what, I really like to listen to those little motivational tapes, you know, and you can, you can drive up and down. You know what, I'm getting my nourishment from motivational speakers. Where do I get my nourishment from? Where do we get our nourishment from? How much time do we spend getting nourished in front of the, the tube, uh, the television, you know, versus the Word of God? 
And this is where us as uh, godly people or good ministers need to end up looking at where we're getting our nourishment from and how much time we're getting uh, that input. I know there's different ones that end up putting little time limits on, you know, for their children, time limits on this, time limits on that. You know what? We need to end up desiring the Word, hungering for the Word, but being nourished by that. Uh, one of the passages that I go to with our staff, and I wasn't going to go to here, but let me do it real quick, is the one in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, right at the end of chapter 5, and uh, right at the beginning of chapter 6 there. Um, okay, well, let's, let's uh, start there at 13 here in 5. No, let's start at verse 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles, the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk only is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And what I end up talking to my staff about, I said, where do we stand? Right now, you need to be spiritually mature enough to be able to feed yourself. In this nourishment here, are we depending upon somebody to nourish me? Did I come here... Is this the only time of nourishment here at the Family Bible Hour? Or am I feeding myself through the week? Where am I getting my nourishment from? And there's a lot of times we look at uh, going to the chapel or, or hanging out with you know, our Sunday school uh, crew. Or whatever. That is where we're getting our nourishment. But our nourishment needs to be, we need to be feeding ourselves. We should be feeding others, but right now we still need to be spoon-fed is what it's saying here. Verse 14, he says, But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, uh, that, those, um, that who by reason uh, use their senses, uh, their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. So the reason why we don't know good and evil is because we're not exercising that. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith towards God, uh, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Right there you have five different things. There's a checklist again for you. Do you understand these things? Do you understand the different baptisms? Do you understand the doctrine of laying on of hands? Do you understand some of these things that is listed here? If we don't, what is it saying? You're still a baby. You still need to be spoon-fed. Here's a checklist. Where do I stand spiritually? Am I mature? Am I being nourished by the Word of God? And am I getting in and studying it for myself? Am I being nursed that way? And then here it says, by the word of, by the word of God, or the word of faith. But then also, um, good doctrine. This is teaching, good teaching. Exposition of the story. That's why we come here, for some teaching. So I'm getting fed by the word of God. Then I'm going and getting some exposition. Uh, ex, uh, they're getting taught on it, all right? And then you go down to uh, uh, which you have carefully followed, or you have obeyed. How many of us hear a good message and we say, wow, that was terrific, but there's no change. 
we stay the same. We need to end up saying, I'm reading God's word to be able to nourish me, but so I can change. And so we end up seeing here these three different areas Paul's talking about to um, Timothy. Then it goes on, verse 7, it says, But reject the profane, or the unholy, uh, and the old wives' fables, uh, the myths, the, the little stories that kind of go around. I think there's times that we end up... Um, uh, adding to, you know, so I think there was a, a real cute little story here. Let's, let's, let's share that story and then try to apply Scripture to it uh, instead of taking Scripture and uh, straight for itself. But these old wise fables, it says, and exercise yourself towards godliness as an athlete. Uh, and this is where I see Paul talking to Timothy as a coach. Or, you know, say, come on, uh, as a personal trainer, come on, we've got to kick it up a notch. Come on, we're going to push harder. We've got to exercise here. And he's talking about exercising. Um, one of the things I share with my staff is back whenever I made a commitment to follow Christ, uh, you know, I, I accepted Christ when I was a young child, but I didn't really turn around and start growing until I ended up seeing my brother-in-law was growing more godly than me. And he accepted Christ years later. And I look at him, I said, look at, he is, he's a different person. I'm the same person. Why aren't I growing? How comes he's growing and I'm not? And, um, and I may, had to make a determination in my head that I needed to grow up. I needed to finally become mature. You know, I need to be the teacher instead of the person that's sitting there listening all the time. And um, I remember when I was a, uh, I was playing, yeah, back in the day I used to play football. Now, look what's happened. That bodily exercise does not profit much. We're going to read that in a second. But, but, uh, but I used to play football. And the coach told me, if you want to play varsity football, you're going to have to bench press your own weight. You're going to have to do so many pull-ups. You're going to have to run the, the mile in such amount of time. And he gave a checklist for me to end up achieving if I wanted to end up playing football. So I go out there and I said, okay, at the time I weighed 235. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and see if I can bench press 235. So I put 235 pounds on the bar and I knew when nobody was watching, I picked it up off it and it came down on my chest and I go, oh, I can't get it off. And I had to climb out from underneath it. I almost killed myself. I said, man, how am I ever going to get that 235? You know what I needed to do? I needed to end up starting that. I needed to get a, the motion down. I needed to get the, the, the process down. You know, and so what I ended up doing, I took all the weights off, and I put on five pounds here and five pounds there. Of course, that would have been embarrassing if somebody walked in, but I put five pounds, and I said, I've got to, I've got to get the process, the motion down, you know? And so I started lifting five and five, and I said, you know what? Let's put on 10 and 10. Oh, yeah, I got it. Let's put on 20 and 20. Okay, I've got this going. And then I had to start exercising and putting more and more weight on until I could get up to that 235 pounds. But what I share with my staff, I said, Whenever you determine you're going to exercise, you've got to start somewhere. I tell them, you know, you've got to start out with five and five. Let's spend five minutes of prayer and five minutes of reading, you know, input and output. You know, so let's start with our five and five. Let's commit ten minutes to the Lord every morning that I'm going to give him ten minutes. You know what? Uh, when I determined I was going to do that, 
I sat down and I was able to read for five minutes. Then I said, okay, I closed my Bible. I'm going to start praying. I said, oh, Lord, um, bless mom and dad. And, you know, I pray for uh, my wife and uh, the kids. And, and I look at my watch and I go, man, I can't even pray for 15 seconds. How weak am I? You know, okay, now, Lord, how am I going to do that? I started a list. And I said, okay, how am I going to grow myself into achieving this? It's exercise. It is, um, you know what, and I think I, I've blown past you on some of your, your different little checklists on the back. But uh, the first one there, uh, verse 6 on your sheet that you had, you know, to nourish yourself in, in the word of faith, in good doctrine, carefully, um, follow carefully the three different words. And the, and the seven was exercise and godliness. Now that one underneath, it was uh, godliness is not automatic. You know, whenever I accepted Christ, I got the righteousness of Christ. I'm perfect. And so I think that's godliness. But righteousness and godliness are not in the same ballpark. Well, they're in the same ballpark, but they're not the same. Godliness, you have to end up developing. You're going to have to work to get this godly character in you. Righteousness, you got the righteousness of Christ when he died for your sins on the cross. You are free from the the penalty of sin. And you are righteous before God. But godliness is something we have to end up striving for. I need to become a more godly man. And Paul goes into this and he says, Timothy, let me tell you what you need to do. And let me tell you how to do it. And so this is where Timothy gets in. Now, now I've, that was my introduction. Okay, now let's get there. <laughs> uh, but, but godliness is not automatic. I, for a long time, I thought I am godly, but I'm not. I'm righteous. Godliness is going to take exercise. So I needed to end up sitting down, and I needed to start working out. And pretty soon, you know what? That 5 and 5 turned into a 10 and 10, and a 20 and 20. And pretty soon, you know, I, it was hard. It was, I was building up my strength. And this is that one wide exercise because godliness isn't automatic. And number two, it says to develop strength and uh, muscle memory. And I don't know how many people know what that is, but you get into a process. And your, your muscle memory, you start doing something over and over and over again, and it becomes a habit. How do we become habitual in our Bible reading and in our study with him. It is just by muscle memory. We have to keep on keeping on, even when we don't feel like it. And it does take time and effort. Let's go down to, uh, otherwise I'm not going to get through this, this whole passage here. Um, let's look here at, at verse 12. Um, you know what? Um, no, there's a couple things I want to touch on before I get to verse 12 here. Uh, let's, let's, let's get back up. Uh, verse, verse 8, it says, For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness profits, is profitable in all things. You know, that, that bodily exercise, you know, I, it's good for a short period of time. But if you don't keep it up, you know, yeah, you're looking at him. Uh, but, but what happens here with that bodily exercise also he's talking about, uh, look at the next part of that verse, it says, having uh, the promise of life that now is and that which is to come. Did you know that godliness, you're going to end up receiving the benefits of that for all eternity? 
what we're doing today in developing godliness is going to be beneficial throughout eternity. Now, how about that physical exercise? <laughs> Not at all. But that bodily, uh, the godly exercise uh, is going to end up benefiting you. Uh, it says, uh, this is a faithful and worthy uh, saying and worthy of accept, uh, acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffered reproach. He's talking about, Paul is saying, you know, this is why I have committed so much. To this. this in here is probably one of the most important things you can end up understanding. He says, that is why I'm suffering so much, is so that you can end up understanding this. Look at verse um, 11. It says, these things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth. Now, why would he say that? He'd say, he says, I want you to command and teach that. Now you have all these older people that are sitting down there, and he's commanding them to do this or that. Um, there was once I was, um, I was listening to a guy uh, teach, and uh, he was teaching. He was a single man, and he was teaching on marriage. You know what I did? I just like some of you, <laughs> yeah, right. Like you know it. You know, I mean, he's going here through Scripture, and and it was truth what he was saying. It was good, but what it was hard for me to hear from him because he hadn't experienced it. You know, I don't know how many of you had. You know, there's so many different ways to raise kids. You know, but you have the people that don't have children come up to you and tell you how you're supposed to raise your children. You know. In your mind, you just kind of smile and say, yeah, you'll find out, you know. But, but what they're saying doesn't mean it's not truth. So what is Paul talking to Timothy about here? He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. You've got to be doing it, Timothy, if you want people to hear you. You know what? That's not just young people. That goes for older people, too. You know what? People need to know that you are in, the, uh, in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. They need to see that in you if you're going to ask them to do that. I can go up to Verdugo Pines and I can be talking to these kids, you know, these other uh, staff and say, this is what you need to do. But if I'm not living it, if I'm not that example, they're not going to hear me. It might be right what I'm saying, but it goes in one ear and out the other. And so Paul is saying, you've got to be an example in some of these areas. Uh, now let's go on here. Uh, it says, be an example in, uh, in word. Uh, let the words of my mouth, that's what Psalms 19 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. But you know what, there's times that my words hurt people. My critical response, my, the words that, that uh, I was just joking, we finish it off by, those words are what is going to cause somebody to hear you or not to hear you. So you need to end up being an example, in godly, uh, example of godliness in words. Uh, and I think that WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do, that acronym, I think it's kind of got overused, but godliness here is, is Christ-likeness. Is this the way Christ would have responded? 
And I think sometimes our words here hurt our testimony, hurt our ability to share because our words are short. And before we end up opening that mouth and in our speech, we need to end up asking the Lord, what is the godly response here? How would Christ respond in this manner? Uh, Ephesians 5, talking about coarse jesting, foolish talking. Uh, it says, that is not fitting to saints. You know, what is a saint? How is a saint supposed to end up verbalizing? What, what is my conversation like? And, and, and folks, we need to end up watching. And this is what uh, Paul was talking to Timothy he says, he says, watch your words. Number two here, it says, be an example of godliness in your conduct, in your actions. Um, and I, I pulled out 1 Peter 1, 11, uh, through 17 there, but verse 12 talks about let your conduct be honorable amongst the Gentiles. You know, so it's for the world, but it is also for believers. You know, if my conduct is um, uh, in such a way, even on Facebook, even on some of the social media type thing, and then I come here and I want to share something with the saints. It goes in one ear out there, because I'm not the example that God has called me to be. My liberties need to be set on the back shelf because I'm called to be a godly man. Uh, godliness in conduct. Uh, be a godly, uh, be an example of godliness in love. Walk in love as Christ uh, loved us and gave himself for us. And we see the one uh, in um, uh, John 15 is talking about laying our, our lives down for our brothers. This is, is that the kind of love we have for one another? Uh, a lot of times that love is seen through humility in that uh, towards other people and our love, whether in our conversation, in our conduct. But godly, godliness in love. Uh, I don't know if my conduct communicates love at all times. Uh, one of the verses, and I don't know if I have it down on your sheet here too. One of the good things about this particular list here I came up with some different verses that kind of cross-references each one of these little check marks. But you can do the same, and I challenge you to do that. Say, you know what, I don't know if I agree with John's cross-reference here, but let me come up with another one. Take this paper and sit down and come up with some different cross-references. That would be a, a dynamite little talk later. But uh, 1, John, uh, 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it says, uh, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, and does, uh, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, our actions are communicating the love. It isn't just me saying, Ricky, I love you, you know. It is me end up sacrificing myself for Ricky. It is me humbly coming before him. So that humility is, is part of that in serving him. 
So we have the love, be an example of uh, godliness and love, be an example of godliness and uh, in spirit. Now, my, my uh, version here, I have the New King James that I read out of. It has the word spirit in there. Some of the newer translations don't have the word spirit in there, and it just jumps down to godliness and faith. Uh, but what is this spirit, I believe, that it's talking about here? It's not just, uh, you know, being spirit-led or being spirit-filled, which it, it very well could be there, too. But I believe it's talking about the zeal there, too. My zeal for, um, for godliness. My zeal for the word of God. Um, and and um, Psalms 119, uh, at verse 39, it's talking about the, my zeal has consumed me. You know, I am consumed with my relationship with Christ. I cannot keep my mouth silent. I have to speak the things of God. And I'm excited about what I have, uh, the relationship I have with God. And so my zeal is being seen. And Timothy here, he said, uh, Paul saying to Timothy, you know, let your zeal, have a godly zeal. What is some of the zeal that we see in people today? How about those Dodgers? Oh, no, wait a minute. I, I guess it's St. Louis, right? Uh, but how about that football team? Boy, I'll tell you, my zeal comes to the surface in sporting events. But when it comes to godliness, where is my zeal? You know, my zeal should be there and, and to be an example of godliness in our zeal. Be an example of godliness in our faithfulness or in our faith. Um, our commitment uh, to Christ, to the things of Christ. This is where we're going to end up uh, communicating godliness in our faithfulness. And, uh, 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 you know, commit such a thing to faithful men. Where is my faith? Who is going to entrust me with something if I haven't proven myself as faithful? Uh, be an example of godliness and purity uh, without, without hypocrisy. This is what we should be doing. These are the, the six different areas that Paul is talking to Timothy about as far as uh, being an example of godliness. I'm going to jump down and I'd, I have a cross-reference for each one of those and we could probably spend you know, a good 30 minutes on each one, but uh, we will... Truck on here. Look at the, the next. It says the seven areas that Paul has asked Timothy to focus on. He not only told him what needs uh, what you need to accomplish. He says, but let me let me tell you how to achieve those. You know, there, there's so many times that we have people telling us, "This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to do," and they turn around and walk away. But Paul says, "Let me show you how to end up achieving those." Uh, it says, "Give attention to reading the word." And we talked a little bit about that a little bit earlier. Rightly dividing the word of truth in, that we see in, in 2 Timothy. Uh, uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to be able to read the word and rightly divide it. Spend time in the word. Uh, give attention to exhortation. Uh, you know, exhortation a lot of times is hard for us to take. Because exhortation, we put in the same category as rebuke. It's not. It can be part of it, but it's not. Let's, uh, real quick, if you want to look at, um, well, uh, look at uh, Titus 2.15. It says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with the authority 
and let no one despise you at uh, all. So it says, speak, exhort, and rebuke. But speaking is proclaiming God's word here. Exhorting is application or encouragement that way. And rebuke is correction. And there's sometimes we're supposed to be exhorting somebody this direction, and they've taken it as rebuke because sometimes that's how we come off. I had this one lady tell me, you know, whenever I get serious, I start thinking about something. I got these little scowl marks right here in my face, you know. And she goes, she goes, how come you're always mad? I go, I'm not always mad. You know, I have those little scowls. She goes, oh, she says, um, you know what? I work for a plastic surgeon, and we could probably take that out. And she was serious. And I was like, oh, man, Lord, help me. Help me to end up smiling better, you know, uh, you know, so that I, I don't, the people don't feel that I'm rebuking them. You know, I need to be an encourager. I need to be somebody that's going to end up saying, hey, let, this is how we can apply this. You know, aren't you excited about this? But, uh, but sometimes it is received as rebuke. But here he's, he's, uh, he says, pay attention to exhortation. It's not just for you, uh, Timothy, as far as uh, listening to exhortation, but in your exhortation to other people. Pay attention to encouraging one another to love and good works. Uh, number three here, pay attention to doctrine and the teaching uh, of God's word. Pay attention to what is right, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, number four here, give attention to your spiritual gifts. Uh, a few months back, I don't know when last time it was I spoke here, but I think I, I talked about the spiritual gifts that God has given to each one of us. And, and we are here, my gift is given to me to help you. And your gift was given to you to help others around you and me. And if you're neglecting your gift, you're hurting everybody else around you. You're good because you got it but you're hurting the rest of the body. And he says, perform that gift that was in you. Perform the gift that God has given to you. He says, um, and, and then you're going to grow that away. Um, I believe his gift, you know, and there's some, I was reading John MacArthur, he thought his gift was in teaching and, and uh, some other things. I think, I think Timothy's gift was in exhortation because you end up seeing he's, he's encouraging one another that way too. So, uh, but anyways, he was called him to end up being an exhorter. He that has the gift of exhortation, let him exhort. All right. Uh, meditation. Give attention to meditation. Uh, one thing that I, I did a while back in talking about meditation with our, our kids, what I looked up in the dictionary, is Webster Dictionary, the definition of meditation. You know what it says? Talking to oneself about something. Dude, I talk to myself all the time. You know, I'm just meditating. That's the spiritual side of meditation. You know, but you're talking to yourself about the Word of God. When you rise up, when you go, you're talking to yourself about God's Word the whole time. Meditation is, is what's going to end up helping you achieve some of that godliness. And then give, atten give attention to give, uh, giving attention, all right? Or take heed. Give attention to taking heed. You know, uh, it's not just being a... a a hearer of the word, but a doer. Take heed and follow through. The obedience part of that. And then the last one here, give attention to continuing on. And our brother read it this morning here that I was going to read here in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Therefore, since we have um, been surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, lay, let us lay aside every weight of sin that easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Uh, and so that is the 
the endurance part of it. Uh, but let us continue on continuing on. All right? Keep on keeping on. Knowing that this is God. And you knowing that my godliness is going gonna, is gonna to be beneficial throughout eternity. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and Father, that it'll cut us to the areas of our lives that we need it. Lord, we pray that uh, after hearing your word today that we would have been cut deep and, and that our lives would have been changed because of our time spent with you in your word. Father, we, we want to be changed people. We want to be godly people. We want to grow up and mature in the way that we should. So, Father, we had asked that you would come into our lives and, and become that, uh, that strength that we need. Help us to develop this uh, ourselves, exercising spiritually, so we can grow up and be the godly people you would have us be. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves into your care once again in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for your time this morning.